Hello and welcome to episode two of the Prescribed Change Podcast. Thanks again for all you guys who are subscribing and sharing the podcast. It means a lot just trying to do my part to bring change to this crazy world that we live in. On today's podcast, I've got my friend Jay. It feels like I've known him forever, but I tell you what, I just met Jay this last year at Wadapalooza. Um, we've ran in the same circle for a long time, so we've interacted on social media and things like that for a while. But I finally got to sit down with Jay in Miami there for a little bit. We shot a podcast out there, and he was one of the first guys that I told about this podcast. And I was really excited to get him on board with this and, and have him as one of my first guests. Jay has an amazing story. Not only is he a policeman, he's also a black man living in America right now. Tons of values, tons of perspective inside of this podcast. Really hope you guys enjoy it. Here is Jay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to episode number two of the Prescribed Change Podcast. Got my main man, Jay Lakaya in the house. Jay, you are one of the first people that knew about this podcast. Yeah, that is true, man. We did speak about that. When was that? That was probably in Miami, right? When yeah, that was there for uh, I think is when it kind of started, right after that, right? Yeah, it was like right after Wadapalooza. Because to be honest, we, we've been in the same circle for a long time, but that was really the first time I got to sit down and actually meet with you and, and get to know you a little bit. Yeah, man. Uh, I was down there to uh, interview um, Nicole Biscuti, CEO of uh, Chesty, and then um, – Kind of was like, yeah, I'm going to be down there, and um, I knew you were going to be out there, so I just wanted to link up with you because uh, we have, you know, we interacted on, on Instagram, but we never really met. So I was, let me, I said, let me meet this dude, and uh, we hit it off, bro. I, you know, it, seemed, it was very seamless. It was like we were friends for years, so. All right. I love it when that happens. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you were at Move Fast, Lift Heavy as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was there, too. I was Which is crazy because. Yeah. But I didn't make it okay. to the brunch, so but I was out okay. there. Man, I was. That was a that was a blast. We gotta do that again sometime. For yeah, sure. man, for sure. Well, Jay, you, I, like I said, you of all people know what this podcast is all about, and and I know you are an individual that is bringing change to this world, man. You, you may not know this, but you motivate myself, and I'm sure a lot of other people on a daily basis. Um, you do a great job with your. I think you call it Wise Word Wednesdays. Yes, sir. You got that on your social media channel. A bunch of podcasting. And I'm just I'm just really excited to just sit down with you here for about 30 minutes. And we're just going to talk about we're going to talk about some real stuff. I do have some stuff on the table we're going to we're going to bring up, but I'm really excited just to see your to hear your heart, see where your head's at and uh, just get to know you more. So for my friends and my followers that don't maybe don't know who you are, Jay, why don't you just give me a quick rundown um, of your elevator speech of who the real Jumpman Jay is? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm the real Jumpman Jay. Uh Government name is uh, Jason Lacayo. Um, born in the Bronx, raised in Yonkers. Um, I've been a cop since uh, 2005. Um, I started with the NYPD, and then um, I transferred over to the city of White Plains in 2007, and I've been uh, gainfully employed there ever since. Um, I work in the capacity of a uh, SWAT operator. Um, I got certified in, like, 2010, and... Uh, I've been assigned to the the emergency service unit since that. So, um, yeah, I'm an avid CrossFitter. I uh, found CrossFit in, like, 2013, and um, CrossFit has changed my life drastically. Um, you know, I've met a lot of good people, and it's put me in a great circle. Um, 
found some lifelong friends I believe I'm going to have. So, um, yeah, that's me in a, in a nutshell. Well, that's awesome. You left out a avid, I believe it's flag football player. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I play, <laughs> I play flag football. I also play for the NYPD uh, football team. So that's full equipment, um, pads, all oh, that, and, and we awesome. travel, yeah. Bro, that's like – so you do, you get you to put all the pads on and everything? Yeah, man, like that full regalia and all oh. that. Man. So uh, we have like the same colors. So we're uh, blue and what? gold. Yeah. Is it good ball or what? Yeah, man, it's good ball. You get a lot of guys that, um, you know, play some D1 ball, uh, high-level football, some guys that washed out of the league and ended up becoming police officers. And uh, it's pretty competitive. Uh, we kind of are like the uh, – kind of like the New York Yankees of, like, this league. Uh, we have the most championships, um, probably because we have a bigger pool to pick from. So NYPD has like 40,000 cops. And if you are in the immediate area and you are a uniform member of service, you can play on the football team. So kind of gives you a little bit more of a, a, a talent pool to pull from. Bro, that's so sick. I'm, I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> they need to have like a, a retired CrossFitter NAIA football player league i'd play in that that'd be fun yeah man but, it, it would be dope to see a bunch of guys that used to get after it you know get out there one more time and give it a go hey i think i think elite crossfitters would have a squad now we could we could get a squad oh for sure yeah, there's, man. there's enough of them out there i think we got, we got to save that for another podcast we're we're gonna have to build a dream team of uh crossfit uh football players come we'll try and come up with a starting 11 we'll see what we can do but <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, for sure <laughs> well cool man well i do want to get right to the real stuff man there this is a crazy time in our country i'm not telling you anything you don't know um and if anything and if anything jay you're you're living right in the middle of it bro and first and foremost my heart goes out to you you know we we send a lot of texts back and forth you know how much i pray for you and how much i think about you but can you just tell me a little bit about where you're at man i would i would really like to start um before you took your little week hiatus because i do want to talk about that in a second but let's talk about maybe from the get-go, from the jump, when we were talking about, man, this COVID thing's the real deal. Let's start there, and then we'll kind of progress forward to where we are today. Yeah, um, so uh, yeah, COVID hit, what, about March, right? So um, basically our lives were flipped upside down, um, especially from the first responder aspect. So our, our, um, our schedules were changed. And um, so, so my particular unit, we worked 10-hour shifts, so we were switched to 12s. Um, and then sometimes those 12 hour shifts would, would be prolonged. So you'd end up working like anywhere between like 12 to like 14 hours, depending on that was immediately, right yeah, that was immediately, man. And, um, wow. it was kind of devastating too, because, um, you know, when, when we first heard about the virus, a lot of people weren't taking it seriously. So we didn't know if it was like real. And then, you know, a lot of us were just kind of like, ah, maybe it ain't, you know, it ain't what they say it is. And then, um, immediately, like when it came to the U S New York was hit super hard. Right. So, um, you know, that's when I really realized this is a real thing. Um, it was a lot of, a lot of death, man. Um, I've been doing this uh, 15 years. So I've been a police officer 15 years, and I think I saw more people pass away um, in like a two to like three week span than I have in like 15 years of police work. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, man. Police work, you see death, man. But it's like this was a little bit of a different dynamic because. Um, due to COVID, they were high, so they were high um, fatality. There's a high fatality rate in New York, right? So um, the the coroner or the or, or the ME wouldn't come out because it was such a high volume of of, uh, of death. So you'd have to sit with the body 
and then everybody's quarantined. So you have everybody in the house. You have like every family member possible, right, is in the house and someone passes away. And then you have to wait for the funeral home to come pick up the body because the ME wasn't coming out and doing it. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, dude. So you saw like um, the the emotional aspect of death because a lot of the time what, hap- what would happen is you'd, you know, you'd get there and, you know, if it's deemed a death, you just wait for the ME to come get the body. And it's, there, there was really nobody in the house or there wasn't that many people around. So now you got to see the other side of it, like the, the residual effect it had on the family. And, you know, it was very emotional, dude, because um, you saw, you know, family members just grieving and it was immediate like grief. You know, it was people trying to, you know, hug the body, pick up the body. Like it was it was tough, man. You know, and, it, it, you know, it, it, it hit my heart. Uh, you know, I had to um, really rely on my faith at that point and just. You know, going to work every day was a struggle because you knew that you were going to run into some death, you know, and you knew that you were going to see someone feel that death. And that's what made it real for me, man. So and that was just like about eight weeks of that, dude. And then, um, you know, at that point, everybody loved us. Right. Everybody was, you know, people were donating meals and and, you know, they were clapping for us at the beginning of tour. And, you know, we were heroes. And then the unfortunate demise of George Floyd led us to where we at now, you know, and, um, it's tough, dude. Like I always say this, man, like, you know, you sign up and you know, you're probably going to get the worst of the worst, but you would never imagine it to be like this, you know? Right. So, right. You know, when I took that oath, I, I, I you know, I knew that I was going to hear some unsavory things and people were going to threaten me. And, and, you know, while I have this uniform on, it's not a, a personal attack on me, Jason LaKyle is a personal attack. It's, it's an attack on the uniform. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, right. um, which sometimes hurts, which sometimes almost even hurts more, right? Like, because it's something you stand for, it's something you've been a part of for so long. Yeah, you know, and then and then I'm sure that that has to hurt. Maybe not more, but it just hurts maybe in a different way. Yeah, it stings, dude. Because you know, I, I took this job to, to 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 make change, you know, and um, I think I put my best foot forward every time I I walk out, and you know, once I put that uniform on, you know, I try to come in even keel and look at people as human beings not as numbers or or anything like that or statistics i i look at human beings for the souls that they are so you know it's tough when i'm when you're coming from a good place and you get out there and people are just extremely adversarial you know and just they don't want to work with you and and you know they're um sometimes you'll you'll see parents like they'll be walking with their kids and i kind of hate when they do this they'll do like oh if you don't behave i have the you know policeman arrest you and it kind of invokes right, the fear right. in a little kid you know so um I just always try to go out there and and try to interact as much as possible and, you know, try to be as human as possible. And, Jay, I, I probably already know the answer to this, but it's got to be hard being a black cop. I mean, you, you're you kind of almost stuck on both sides of the fence just with everything that's been happening. Like you mentioned the tragic events with George Floyd. I know that that that's drew a line in the sand for a lot of people. And, unfortunately for you, you you've probably had to be right in the middle of it. And I – I want to talk about one of the things, Jay, I really have always appreciated about you is your openness about mental health. And and that's something that as grown men, as men that are, you know, athletic, you know, we spend a lot of time doing a lot of stuff. That's something that that is too easily to be ignored. And I want to I want to make sure that we're acknowledging that today as we're talking that. You know, I've went through my own personal struggle uh, with depression and, and how that's affected my life and my wife and my family. But when you start adding, you know, extreme circumstances like what you're dealing with how did that affect your your uh, mental health um yeah dude it was uh it was tough man uh 
definitely affected my mental health on a daily basis. You know, I used to be able to wake up and like be happy to come to work. Right. So they always say if, if it's not work, if it doesn't feel like a job, then, then you're kind of winning. Right. Um, but when this whole, you know, police brutality thing kind of came up, it was just like, damn, bro. Like, you know, cause I tell people this all the time. Right. I, I, I have not, I've been a cop for 15 years. Right. And so that's like only a small portion of my life. Right. And right. Right. I was black long before that, you know, and, and have I yeah. seen and had negative interactions with police? Absolutely. Like it's happened, you know, but I didn't never, I never let that, um, you know, influence my decision to become a police officer. So, you know, I was kind of experiencing a little bit of depression because, you know, I took this job to make a change. And if you know anybody that knows me and that's, in, that's interacted with me on the police level, you know, they, they have nice things to say about me in regards to me treating them like human beings. And, you know, when you wake up every day and you, you, um, you know, you pick up your phone and you get on, you go on Facebook or you go on Instagram and it's just, you know, F the police and, um, you know, we can't stand cops and, you know, all, you know, all cops are bad. Yeah, man, it does take a toll on your mental health, man. And, um, you know, I had to do, I had to do a lot of like soul searching, you know, um, I journal every day and I try to just upon waking up, just writing on how I feel, you know, where I am mentally and where I am spiritually. So, you know, I journal and then, you know, a little meditation and then prayer, like just kind of takes me, um, into my day and I have to make sure that I get all of those things in order and make sure my soul is right in order for me to kind of go out there, even keel, because you can, you can be influenced by the things that you see on your, on your cell phone, man. You know, you oh, can a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, dude. So it's like, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I was staying on top of my mental health. I was talking to people, you know, making sure that like even you and I would have conversations, like you would check in and that's, and that's, that was key, dude. Like every time you're like, Jay, I'm praying for you. Like I really needed that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like every time like you Dex guys like that, like, you know, my boy Marcus, my boy Kev would send texts like that. It would just really help me out because it would take me from a place that like, you know, not everybody hates me. You know what I'm saying? My boys still care right. about me and understand that I'm out here trying to do the right thing, man. So I just want to, I want to applaud you for that, man, because every time you sent that text, man, it was on point. It was, it was something I needed. And, you know, I appreciate you for that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny just in this moment, kind of listening to what you're saying and talking my, my mom, I think it was either my mom or my dad, maybe both parents. When I was growing up, I used to kind of, I'm assuming it's my mom just based on their personalities. Um, I used to tease my mom growing up like, man, you better say you love me or something like that, right? I remember one of them saying, if I said it every single time I saw you, it would lose its meaning. True. And I kind of remember thinking like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I know I knew I was lucky to be blessed in a home where I knew my parents loved me. Yeah. But there's something to be said about, the genuineness of a moment and reaching out to somebody and saying, Hey man, I love you. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. And, and I don't mean that as, as a shot. I, I, I specifically just mean it as taking the time and making sure in that time is genuine. Cause sometimes we can sit there. I don't personally do this, but I've heard of people, you know, they do the copy and paste to a bunch of people. Hey, I'm thinking and praying for you. But with my interactions, I always wanted it to be genuine and I wanted it to mean something. So when I say that, I want you to know, bro, like that's, I'm doing that right as I send that text. I'm actually praying for you in that moment. And that, that to me, um, when I was going through my mental stuff, uh, I got a, a brother here, Zach, he's going to be on the podcast soon, but 
he was one of those guys that the same kind of thing, right? Like I'd be going through some hard times and he would just send that text at this, just the right time. Hey, bro, I'm thinking about you. Hey, bro, you got this. You can do this, you know. And uh, I think that for men in general, especially men that, that are dealing with mental health, to be able to have those words of encouragement, I think goes a long ways. Yeah, man, for sure, dude. Like, I felt it, man. You know, like, like I said, every time that those texts came through, like, I legit felt it. So I, I know it was it was coming from a genuine place. For sure. So, Jay, with that, as we just talked about, you get to see both sides of the fence. You get to see the police side. You get to see um, the black side. What are your personal I don't want to say convictions, but what are your personal feelings about both sides and what change are you trying to bring to both of those sides? You know what it is? I think a lot of people need to understand that this is a real problem. I don't really feel like a lot of people believe that racism doesn't exist um, and that people don't have like, you know, biases that 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 they come to work with. You know what I'm saying? So it's like if you take somebody who's never grown up in an urban environment, right, and then you throw them into an environment where, yeah, there's there's a there's crime there, but not everybody that lives in these communities are criminals, right? You know, there's hardworking, upstanding citizens that live in these communities. But if you have somebody who's policed an area that they have no experience as far as like growing up, like I, you know, how many guys I know that grew up um, and never had interactions with black people or anybody right. of color, like they just grew up in a predominantly white town, and that's just not something that they encountered. I, I, you know, I worked with a lot of guys like that. And um, I'm one of them. I mean, I was I was raised in North Platte, Nebraska. Um, I had one friend that was mixed and he was probably the one kid out of the 500 kids I went to school with, you know, or a couple or a thousand kids I went to school with, you know, and it, there wasn't a lot of diversity where I was from either. But go ahead. Yeah. So like you have situations like that and now you throw them into an urban environment that's not the best neighborhood. You're not going to have the, the 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 best interactions with people offhand. Right. So if you've only encountered the bad, where does that put your your mindset? You know, it puts it, it put like, you know, it kind of puts you in a place where it's like, damn, all these guys are like this. So you right. kind of come to work with like a chip on your shoulder. And I think that has to, you know, that definitely will affect your policing. And I'm not saying everybody's like that, but, you know, if you have minimal interactions and then now I throw you into an urban environment and then every single calling you go to is, you know, some kind of crime is being committed or some kind of aggressive action has been taken, you know, it's not going to have, you're not going to come into a situation with, with, a, with an even keel. So just more exposure to, to, to culture and, you know, having more interactions, because I feel like if you can build a bond um, through dialogue and just kind of seeing how people live on a day-to-day basis and understand why um, people do the things that they do, um, I think, it kind of creates more room for, for, for change, you know? So I'm just pushing for people to have open dialogue and probably get back to more community policing, like getting to know the people in the neighborhoods that you police and, um, you know, having open dialogue. And then, you know, cause that way, if you have a rapport with the neighborhood that you police, if there is a problem, you can kind of come in and if they know who you are and vice versa, that can completely change the, the outcome of a situation because they see a familiar face and they say, hey, yo, Officer Lacayo, like, you know, so-and-so is happening. I just want to make sure that you guys are aware of this and so on. Like, I've seen it done. You know, I've, I've been a part of that process. So what I'm trying to do is just trying to make sure that people just get exposed to, to different type of, you know, communities and, and, and understanding the, the, the culture in these communities and why people act the way they act. 
And um, I think you can build a more understanding from that point, you know, and that's what I'm really focusing on. I'm having a lot of conversations. Um, I'm doing a lot of like interviews and, and um, you know, just on my time too, just having conversations with like protesters and, and, you know, and just trying to get them to understand our side. You know what I'm saying? When I say our side, the police side and understand that, right. you know, you know, I'm a black man too, you know? So I, I understand that the, the things that, that, that they're going through, because when I take off my uniform, my uniform stays in the locker, but my skin stays the same color. Right. I experienced the same things that they've experienced. You know, it's just, I just happen to be, I'm, you know, I've never wanted to give somebody a reason to do something to me. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. um, just because of the things that my father had, had, had kind of explained to me, because, you know, my dad came to this country when he was 13, when he was in his early teens. Um, and hey, my father had a conversation with me when I was like 12, 13 years old on how to interact with a law enforcement um, official. So, you know, he was just like, just be respectful. Even if they are a little pushy or edgy, just stay respectful, speak in a calm tone. And if they ask you to do something, just do it. And if it seems like it's out of line, you know, you can voice your opinion, but you're not going to win it right then and there and just we'll go from there. And that philosophy helped me through life, right? I, I was able to make it to become a police officer. So, you know, just me having dialogue with people out there is how I'm trying to make a change and just trying to get them to understand that, you know, there's bad apples in every single batch. And I know that sounds like a cop out, but it's the truth. You know, the right. human spirit varies from person to person. So we're not, you know, we're not perfect beings, right? We're, you know, we're engineered to have flaw. So understand that I know some of these mistakes have led to people losing their life, but you know, let's take other contributing factors and put those into play. So that's what I'm really trying to do just to kind of change the narrative a bit. Man, that was an awesome answer. That was that was cool. I I really do struggle, and Jay, forgive my ignorance here a little bit, because I just don't really know how the system works. But you have mentioned, you know, a cop that was potentially brought up, you know, in a white neighborhood, or you know, maybe went to a predominantly white school, is getting placed in these environments. How does that? How do we even get there? How does he even get that job to where he's in that environment? Does Does that question kind of make sense? Yeah, no, it makes plenty of sense. You, you're placed where the department needs you. So depending on yeah. where you okay. work, you know, what police department you work, you work for, um, they're going to place you in a, in, a, in, an, in, in a place that needs policing, right? So you'll, you'll go through the academy and let's say, let's say 500 recruits come out, right? And they need to place 300 out of those 500 into um, busy neighborhoods, um, you know, or busy precincts. Um, so they're just picked out of a hat pretty much and you, you go to that precinct and police so i don't know if Gosh, they're really looking okay. at like the the ratio of who's black who's brown they don't know if they're really doing that you know it's just we need manpower we're going to put the bodies where we need to have the bodies but isn't that isn't that kind of setting some people up for it's not setting them up for success because like for me you know i was i was born and raised in a town of you know thirty thousand people you give me a gun you give me a you know the whole outfit and i go out to new york I'm I'm just as shell shocked. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not putting me in a in a position to succeed. And once again, Jay, I, I don't mean this any other way than just my own ignorance. But like, why can't that be an easier process where they can look at you and go, okay, you were raised in that environment. He's gonna succeed in that environment. Where me, how come they can't look at my resume and go, hey, this dude's probably not gonna succeed in that environment? Yeah, I mean, there's there's other extenuating circumstances too. Right. So like in okay. New York in New York City, they put you. Uh, you know, in a, 
your commute has a lot has a lot to do with where they place you as far as like your command, right? So they don't want you traveling right. two and a half hours to work every day, right? So they'll put you somewhere where you know you can get to work in like forty five minutes to an hour, maybe max hour and a half. So you know that plays a role too. You know, if 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 you take somebody who lives an hour away from whatever community it is, obviously they're not living amongst the community that they're policing, right? So, um, or they maybe used to live there and then they moved out of it. So. I mean, that plays gotcha. a role. Um, should there be a, a different system? Yeah, I mean, for me, it would make more sense to, to, to do that. But it's just like if the department needs are we need 300 officers in these particular neighborhoods. And you also have to look at this, too. I, like, I don't know what the ratio is of people that are taking these tests and passing these tests and getting to the next level of getting to the academy and getting through. So... You know, maybe right. if there were more black and Hispanic people taking these tests, maybe that'll even out the ratio as to, as to where these people go when they when they exit the academy. I mean, that's a huge role because I know a lot of people, you know, when I was growing up, I ain't taking no police tests. I ain't doing that, man. I don't want to be a cop. Like that was right. that was right. like what the culture was was preaching. You know what I mean? So I lost a lot of friends when I became a cop, you know, like dudes just stopped talking to me because they thought like, you know, I wasn't I wasn't for the for the hood. So, you know, people weren't my friends anymore. But it's a job, right. you know, has great benefits, you know, and, and, and you get a pension and it's honorable work, you know, so. 100%. Right. You got to like change from there, you know? Yeah. And I think for me personally, you know, we, we just touched real quick on my story, but, you know, I came from a town where there wasn't a lot of diversity, but then you dropped me at a university on a football team. And there's a hundred guys of a hundred different shades from a hundred different backgrounds. You know what I'm saying? And, and I know that specifically in that time of life where, you know, I was 18 to 23, it really gave me an opportunity to learn, to listen, to have conversation, to have camaraderie. And it was all organic because I, yeah, we were on a team and we went to school together and I was roommates with them and stuff like that. And I just, you know, I wish that more people got that experience because I think for me and my wife specifically, that changed everything for us. And, and it gave us an opportunity to find mutual ground. And man, those guys, I mean, two of my best friends are black and they are my best friends because we play football together. And it, it, and it really like gave us a pillar of our friendship to where now, you know, we have families and we're able to spend time with each other, our kids play, things like that. And I just wish that more people could have that opportunity to to be a part of a team in the sense of, you know, like I said, 100 different shades of 100 different people, because that opportunity was a very strong eye opener for me because I'd never personally I'd never seen that many black guys. I never saw really how they interacted and I never saw all that stuff. And and as as I spent my time throughout that university, I felt. You know, I always liked hip hop. I always liked the culture, but I just had never really seen it firsthand. And so then once I started seeing it firsthand and I was able to interact with it, it just gave me more respect for it and more of a love for it because I, I really felt like those guys were genuine and, and they really became my brothers, like I said. And I think that more people would benefit from a relationship like that or a, or a circumstance like that where it's like, hey, you're locked in a locker room for you know two weeks. You're going to go be on the field. You're going to be in a class, whatever it may be. And you're going to get some of that interaction. So, um, like I said, man, I just I wish that we were doing a better job of preparing people for success. And, and I know that that's what both of us really want out of this whole thing. 
Yeah, man. Um, I mean, one thousand percent. I mean, you got to think about it. there's only there's two places where I know that um, people have gotten over stereotypes and, and, and stigmas, and that's on a field of some kind of athletic sport, right? So within sport, I've seen it, and in church. So yep. if you can, you know, expose people in some kind of environment like that, I think I can really help, you know, because I know like maybe somebody kind of came in to a team with some kind of pre preconceived notion of how people of a, of a particular race or creed or ethnicity act. And then they spend the whole season with these guys and their outlook is completely different. I mean, you look at movies like Remember the Titans, you know what I'm saying? And like, yeah, yeah. You know, a, a racially divided, you know, state. Right. And then they they forcing, you know, people from two different worlds to play together. And I'm pretty sure, like, if you ain't seen that movie, you can, you, you know, someone will probably tell you, like, man, that was a great movie. And, you know, these guys right. just got over some huge things by playing a sport, man. So I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with you on that. Right. And that, and like I said, it, it really changed my whole perspective of, of what, you know, black men go through and now now because i have that place in my heart for you guys as a white man here in springfield missouri you know it's brought a lot of a lot of bad things to my attention and i'll be honest bro like i've had a hard time the last couple weeks and it's not because of you know i don't know who i am or i'm worried about this and that i'm i'm in a bad place because my brothers are in a bad place and and i think that you know the opportunities may seem like they're there sometimes but there's also that feeling of man i just want to do so much and i and i really had to kind of just take a step back and really just one by one okay what is one particular thing i can do that's going to to bring change and and the podcast was was a good step i got plenty more steps to take as far as some of this stuff goes but i think that having some of these conversations man and, and i appreciate you being open and honest with me i know I know that that wasn't easy, but, you know, just the more we continue to have these conversations and understand why some of this stuff is happening, I really feel like we can potentially avoid some of it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, man. I mean, like I said, I always tell people this is where the change happens and having these conversations, you know, and um, you're going about it in the right way. Right. You know, this, this podcast is called Prescribed Change and change is going to come from these kind of conversations. So, you know, you know, I'm with you. So, you know, we yeah. constantly talk on a you know, on like a weekly basis, we, 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 you know, we, we check in with, with one another. And I mean, this is where it starts, dude, having these conversations and just kind of shedding light on things that I think a lot of people don't know or aren't privy to, to, to hear, you know, this is where it starts. I couldn't agree more, man. I, I appreciate you so much, Jay. You're like a brother to me. It's crazy. We've only known each other for like nine months. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've known you my whole life. Um, and it's it's just, like I said, man, it's been a blessing to follow you on your journey. I know you've had some hard times, some some highs and some lows, but um, I, I really respect your faith. I, I respect how you show that faith and how you're outspoken about that faith. Sure. Um, I also, like I said, really respect you know, your openness about mental health and all the stuff you're going through. I know that that's not easy, bro. I, I really want you to know that it's not easy to talk about that stuff. And you do a great job articulating it and and really impacting the people that are following you along your journey. And and you are, like I said, one of the first people I told about this podcast because I knew that you fit perfectly um, in the genetics of what this is going to eventually turn into. So I appreciate you coming in and, and stopping through for a little bit. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. Jay, where can they uh, find you if they want to look you up, man? I know, like I said, you, you do a great job with your stories on Instagram and all that. So go ahead and uh, 
fill them in on where they can find you at. Yeah, you can catch me on Instagram, um, the real Jumpman J. So I'm I'm only there. I don't really mess around on Twitter or TikTok. So if you're looking to get in contact or you know, um, I always tell people if you have any kind of questions or you want to have any kind of open dialogue, you can feel free to DM me. My um, my email is also on my Instagram. So send emails and all that. That's perfect. Well, brother, I'm going to have you on another time, and we're going to have a fun. We're, we're going to make that a fun one. We're going to talk about some Jays. Yeah. We're going to talk about – we got to build that roster of CrossFit athletes. Now you got me thinking yeah, about that. Yeah, start, start, gotta... start digging on the roster over there, bro. Let me know. <laughs> I know. I know Dex could probably hold down tight end. What what does CH play? CH play wide receiver? Yeah, I think I, I think it was a wide receiver, yeah. So what, what position are you taking then? You D-line, right? I could yeah, – listen, outside linebacker is my cup of tea, so I can do that. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I appreciate you so much. Friends, family, please follow this dude. Man, he he is motivating. I look forward to watching his stories every morning because it makes me get my butt out of bed and get after it. So, Jay, I love you, man. I love and, you too, uh, brother. I look, I look forward to uh, doing this again soon. Yes, sir. Look forward to it. All right, bro. All right, my man. I break bread, bread, hundred dollar bills. Hundred dollar bills. Bread, bread, hundred dollar bills. Hundred dollar bills.